every single one of you. I'm just looking, so I'm going to see who's here. I'm like, yeah, I, I still mean it. I'm just looking to see who's here. And I mean, every single one of you, I'm... <laughs> Oh, look, you know, I'm seeing who's here. I'm saying, thank you, God, for you too. That's come across really weirdly now. <laughs> and if anyone else was here, I'd be still thankful to God for every single person here. Oh, dear. Thank you, Lord. Let's move on. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. How about you turn person beside you and give them another high five for Jesus and say, good to see you. Um, we had a, a, a super exciting week in our family this week. Um, we, had, we had a great time in our family this week. For some of you who don't know, um, in, in a former life, I was a, a bike racer. Um, and some of you, I, I told a friend at school once that, and they're like, wow, I really just can't picture you wearing leathers and helmets. And like, I said, no, 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 cycling, not, not motorbikes. Anyway, we had a really exciting time this week. And um, some of our children have followed on in their father's footsteps. And they had their first race on a track. And I was so excited. And there's, there's Joseph on his track bike. So a track bikes, they have no brakes. They have a fixed wheel that you can't stop pedaling. And uh, I'm not sure who was more scared, me or him, or Rochelle possibly. Um, and uh, our three kids, our three oldest ones, all had their first race on a track bike this week. And, you know, it could have gone a few different ways. He could have crashed and said, Dad, I was going to say Andrew, Dad, I never want to ride a bike again. <laughs> I thought that's one way I could have gone. It could have been okay, he survived, but yeah, no thanks. Or um, he got completely demoralized and gave up and never wanted to do it again. Or there was a chance that maybe in his very first race, he could have a win. And he did. <laughs> and his dad said, and it is good. But, uh, You know, I was reading a book about Cadell Evans, another bike rider, uh, who won the Tour de France, and, and he, he started bike riding, and, and as a journey, we, it's, it's not about how we start, is it? It's how we finish that counts. It's not just about one experience, it's about uh, a journey um, to, to conquer, or um, uh, well for him it was to, to win the Tour de France, he, he, he entered lots of races but to win the one race that he really wanted to win. And just, just speaking of trying something new this morning, has anyone here never tried a bounty? And, and I, I do have one I prepared earlier. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, uh, <laughs> actually there's, there's three inside. Now, I want, on honesty this morning, we're, we're in church, we're, we're meeting before God this morning. Has anyone never tried a bounty that likes coconut? Okay, hands gone down. Has anyone, anyone never tried a bounty? Uh, would you like to try one this morning, Kerry? Not really. <laughs> She's saying, okay then, Andrew. So, uh, can you open that up, Kerry? Whoops. Uh, and uh, so, do you like coconut, Kerry? You do? So, I, I, I'm really hoping this morning that I don't get Kerry addicted to bounties that becomes a curse to her life. But see, would you like to? Would you like to open it up and? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, someone else put up their hand too. Who else, who else wanted to try a bounty? Oh, Kim. Kim's never tried a bounty. You can throw the other. There's, there's three inside there. So maybe pass the packet over. Um, let's not to be too ladylike. I want you to do this nice and quickly. Um, <laughs> so have a bite. Have a chew. Anyone else? Have a bite, Kerry. Anyone else never tried a bounty? You want to try it this morning? Matthias, here we go. Thanks, guys. 
Have a bite. Have a chew. What do you think, Kim? Sharing is caring. <laughs> what do you think, Kerry? It's good. She's surprised. <laughs> Pleasantly surprised. What about Mattias? You won't, you won't buy them? <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe break off the bit you bit and pass it on to someone else who likes it. What about Kim? What do you think? It's okay. No, not like salted licorice or anything. No, no, no. <laughs> Okay, first time I tried a bounty, I thought, yeah, no thanks. But then someone offered me another one. It was chocolate. I didn't have anything else. I thought, ah, I'll try it again. I thought, hmm, this isn't so bad. I had it again. I thought, and some days I actually would choose a bounty. Not today, though. Um, and it's, it's amazing. We can start sometimes and, and something is great. Maybe it's not so good. But as we go on in time, things can change over time. <laughs> this morning... I want to state that it's not how we start that matters, it's how we finish that counts. You might start something and, and it's not great, or you don't do well or you don't really like it. Maybe you've stepped out for God in some way and you feel like, oh, I haven't done very well at that. Or, oh, that that's not really me. I'm not very good at sharing my faith with someone. Uh, it's, it's not really my flavor. But God calls us to be his witnesses. God calls us to, to lay down our life, to take up our cross and to follow him. Now, it's not about how we start that matters. It's how we finish the race that counts. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 9. It says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. We're in, this, in this life, and it's, it's like every day is a race in its own and it's sort of every day's race leads to the next race. And our, and our fitness we develop today helps us to be fit for the race tomorrow. And how many of us know that fitness doesn't hang around if you don't use it? Amen to that, I say. I, I am so glad to God. I, I'm so appreciative that I do Kids Hope because it makes me run. And it make, it's like a fitness test every week. It's like, Andrew, you need to develop your fitness again. And if we don't use our muscles, they go into atrophy. And the, the race we run today prepares us for the race we run tomorrow. And the race we run tomorrow and next week and this year develops our strength or lack of for the year after. I wonder, how's our spiritual fitness right now? How are we training in our race, even as we run our race? doesn't matter how you started. doesn't matter if you crashed. doesn't matter if you've fallen off. doesn't matter if you didn't particularly like running yesterday. How is your race going today? Now, some of you have got ready for church this morning and you've uh, had those moments in church, before church, trying to get ready and it's been stressful. And uh, I don't mean that we, ha we have conflict sometimes, but God help us to, to run the race, to train, to, to, to be disciplined, to run with endurance the race that God has set before us. I didn't read the rest of the verse, sorry. <laughs> so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I think of an athlete training for the Olympics, and they are so strict in their training and, and, and making sure they have proper diet, they make sure they have time to train. 
I wonder if we're as strict in our training in, in righteousness and in training ourselves for God's purposes as an athlete training themselves for an Olympic event for a prize that will fade away. That's a, a challenging concept to myself. I used to spend 30 hours a week training on a bike. Let's be training ourselves for righteousness even as we compete in the race today. Two weeks ago, we looked at a guy by the name of Gideon. And we, we talked about this man who God said, you are a mighty man of valor. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just a weakling. I'm the least of the least. And God, but why have you let this happen? Why have you let this happen? And he didn't see who God saw. But this morning, I think God just prompted me over the last week and a half to, to, to look some more at the life of Gideon. That Gideon wasn't just a, a, a one-hit wonder guy. He wasn't just the guy who came out to defeat the three hundred, and that was uh, with the, the army with the three hundred, and that was it. You read Hebrews eleven, the hall of faith, and Gideon's in there. Gideon wasn't. It wasn't just about one victory. Our life is not just about winning one great victory for God. It's not about preparing for that one day when you're going to do something amazing for God. It's living life today, running the race today for God's glory. Letting every breath be for the glory of God. Absolutely, God can use anyone. It doesn't matter our, our, our size, our, our shape, our age, our whatever. God can use anyone and He's not waiting for us to become someone else or something else. Sorry, my clicker just stopped working, I think. Um, whoop. Where are we? There we are. It doesn't matter what, what age we are, what we've done in the past, but God wants to use us for His glory. But before we charged down and beat the great army, before the, the 300 went and beat the, the 120,000, before the enemy was slaughtered, I thought we'd just use some nice Lego pictures this morning. Before those things happen, God can use anyone, but before a great harvest, there's work to be done. Before, before the, 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 the harvest is, is brought in, there's, there's plowing to be done, there's planting to be done, there's uh, fertilizing and, and whatever else you might do as a farmer to, to, to reap a great crop. Before the great harvest, there's work to be done. And you know what? After the great victory, there's still things to be done. Has anyone ever climbed up a great big mountain and you've, you've gone up to the top of the mountain, you've looked around and going, wow, what an amazing view. You go, oh, this was so worth it. This is fantastic. This is amazing. How amazing is God? And then you go, and now we're going to walk home. <laughs> but I'm sure you love being out in nature and it, it's, it's just a blessing anyway to walk down the hill as well. But after the great victory of conquering the mountain, there's still a walking down the other mountain to come. And then up the next mountain, and then down the next mountain, and over the next mountain, and down the next mountain. Last week, Pastor Annie shared about stability and success, not just about being, uh, just doing something successful. It's about being stable, about going on in success in God's eyes. And it's a, it's a real blessing to have Pastor Roy and Kathy with us here this morning. It's, it's 15 years and a month since I first met them when I went to Papua New Guinea in 2002, 2001. Sorry, that's, that's 16 years. 16 years and one, one month. And uh, I, just, I just feel like we have a, a real blessing in, in our connection with the, the City Gate Tabernacle Church in Leigh. And uh, to have them coming, and I think I've got some photos up here 
of when we were there last time. And the church there, the people, it's a huge church. It's having a huge impact in the city of Leia and in Papua New Guinea and in other nations as they send out missionaries. The church in Lay just inspires me of how many people are getting sent out to other nations every year to, to plant the Word of God in, in other nations. And, uh, and Pastor Peter and Vami that have been here, and uh, we've had Richard and Rachel that were here. And he's saying, hey, there they are. <laughs> we had them here earlier this year. Just the, the, the ongoing connection we've had with them that's been such a blessing to them and to us. And, and I praise God for that. I thank God for that. And we've got a, just a short video to show this morning of, uh, of the feeding program uh, that we're a part of, that you're a part of supporting in Lay. Okay, thank you, Lord. We're going to open the Bible to Judges right now, to Judges chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, please open up and we're going to read together. Judges chapter 6 and verse 25. It says, That night the Lord said to Gideon, So... This is after God's spoken to Gideon. Uh, Gideon's finally got over his whining and he's uh, made an offering to God. And then we read this part. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using it as fuel, the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place a new altar had been built and on it, were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jeroboam, which means let Baal defend himself, because he broke down Baal's altar. Gideon had to declare who he stood for. Before he, he went and faced the army of the Midianites, there was a time when God said, Okay, I want you to go out. I want you to destroy your father's altar to Baal. I want you to destroy it. I want you to, to set up a new altar and I want you to sacrifice the, the offering to me. And Gideon's afraid. He's thinking the whole town loves Baal and I'm going to cut down their, their, their Asherah pole. I'm going to burn it and I'm going to make a new altar. This, this could be interesting, he's thinking. He's a little bit scared. So he gets his, his 10 servants and they, they go out at night. They cut it down. And in the morning, the people come out and they say, where is it gone? And just imagine someone that you know that you just, they just love the golden arches. And they, they drove into town one day. They got their meal. They went home. The next day, they drove into town. They got to that place where the golden arches used to be. And it's gone. It's, it's totally gone. And there's just a the guy there with a the barbecue. That's kind of what happened. There's just the leftover meat burning. And... They're like, where is it? 
where's it gone? This thing that this this thing that we love, this thing that we worship is gone. I'm not saying anyone worship Maccas, by the way. <laughs> this thing's gone. And they have set up a new altar to, to what is this? Who's done this? And they're so angry, they, they go to, to Joash and they say, Where's your son? We're gonna kill him. And Joash has, has great wisdom and discernment, I think, in that moment, and says, If if Baal is God, let him defend himself. If you're trying to do his work for him, you're gonna you're gonna drop dead. And it's kind of like, well, okay. And of course nothing happens because Baal is not God. But Gideon had to declare who he stood for. I think God appointed that time for Gideon to go through a time of declaring who he stood for so that the people would know that it's not Baal that he fought for, it's the living God. And I think for us, we have times when we have to declare who we stand for. There's moments in our life when we have to stand up and be counted and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I go to church. I love God. I believe the Bible. I believe it's the truth. And we need to cut down some, some sacred altars. We need to cut down some things in our life that we trust in. We need to burn those things that we used to trust in and, and move away from those things and say, no, I stand for the living God. The, the Word of God is my hope. Jesus is the one who's won my victory. And I don't hope in anything else. Maybe there's something coming to mind at the moment. You're thinking, oh, I've got to get rid of that. I've got to stop holding on to that thing that, that gives me hope, that gives me comfort. Because our, our hope is, in, is to be in the true and living God and in nothing else. Before there's a great victory, there's a time of saying who we stand for. There's a time of releasing, letting go of our reputation or our pride or maybe it's finance, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's pleasure. There's a time of saying who we stand for. You know, this is really profound. This is, you might need to write this down in case you ever need to know this wisdom, but before you go in a bike race, you've got to buy a bike. Did you know that? You can't go in a bike race without a bike. You've got to get a bike. But there's a cost in getting a bike. And sometimes we've got to pay the price ahead of time, not knowing what the result will be, but simply because God has spoken. There's a price to be paid. Jesus said in Luke 14 about the cost of being his disciple. He says, weigh up the cost. Think about this. Are you, are you willing to come follow me? Are you willing to lay down your life to take up your cross and come follow me? Are we willing to run with endurance the race he has marked out before us? to trust in Him alone and not in other things that the world would tell us we need. There's a cost involved. You know, it's interesting, the next part he talks about how salt that's not salty is useless. And if we have trust in other things, if, if people see that, our, our yeah, we, we're joyful, but that's because we're blessed with that thing or that thing or that thing. If our, if our hope is shown to be in other things, our saltiness is just useless to God. God help us to declare, to show that our trust is in the true and living God. Gideon is willing to risk it all. He, he burns the pole. He, he makes a sacrifice. The people come and threaten him and then he's able to, to, to go free. And then in uh, the next, very next verse, in chapter 6, verse 33, he says, it says, soon after this, the armies gather. The Midianite army gathers and Gideon kind of says, okay, God, I'm ready. 
but can I have just one more sign, God? It's like there's, there's 120,000 of them, there's 32,000 of us. Can you give me just one more sign? And he puts out the, the woolen fleece and he says, let it be wet and the ground dry. And then he says, just, just one more thing, God. Let it happen again, but the other way around. Let it be dry and the ground, uh, whatever I said the other way around. Um, let it be wet and the ground dry. Or the other way, yeah. And God's like, okay, Gideon, we'll do it. And he does it. And Gideon's like, okay, we'll go. You can read that in more detail if you'd like. It's there. Um, and then God says, okay, that's great, Gideon. I'm, I'm glad you're finally convinced because now I want you to get rid of the, the, the 32,000 minus 300. Uh, I, I want to reduce your army down to the 300. And Gideon's like, oh, man, you've got to be kidding. Oh, God, I trust you, but okay, let's do it. And then God says to him again, you know, Gideon, you can sort of see cutting the army down from 32,000 to 300 um, is a little scary for Gideon. He says, Gideon, if you're still afraid, you go down to the enemy camp and listen to what they're saying. And he goes down and he hears the, the guys had the dream about the barley loaf running down the hill. And he says, and, and they're saying, surely God has given Gideon victory over us. And Gideon's like, yeah, okay, I'm with you, God, let's do it. And then they go and they win the battle. They, they, they fight the battle, they win. And it's fantastic, isn't it? It's like, woo, the victory's won, it's all over. That's all done. Not quite. Because after every battle, there's another battle, battle to face. As soon as one battle's faced, as soon as you conquered one mountain, we know there's another mountain to walk down. We know there's another battle to fight. There's times of rest, and that's a blessing, but there's always another battle. And I don't want to say that in a way that makes you just go, oh. <laughs> but... It's not about the one single victory. It's not about doing something great for God. It's about going on in faithfulness to what He's spoken. It's not about how well we fight in one battle tomorrow. It's about going on in faithfulness every day in the race He's called us to run. And in the next chapter, in chapter 8, uh, we read about how Ephraim comes to Gideon and says, why didn't you ask us to come in the first place? Why didn't you let us fight against the enemy and be a part of the, the, the victory? And they're, they're angry. They're like, Gideon, you've wronged us big time, mate. And Gideon sort of says, well, guys, you know, we, we, God told us to use the 300 and, and we, we did ask you to come and, and that you, you helped us chase the enemy after they ran away. And you know what, guys? You caught the two captains of their army. You guys are equally as good as us. In fact, you're nearly better than us because you've done a great thing. You've been involved in this and the people are kind of like, oh, okay, Ephraim's pretty good. We're good. And they're, 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 that battle passes. And then it goes on and in verse 6 and 7, Gideon, as they're still chasing the, the enemy, they get to Succoth, however you say that name, the place they went to. And they get to Succoth and he says to them, we, we, we're hungry, we're thirsty, would you help us? And they're kind of like, well, they're still alive. If we help you and they end up beating you, they might come back and beat us. So you go defeat them first and then we'll give you food and drink. And Gideon's, he's, he's ropeable. He's angry. He's like, how dare you not help us? He says, you've got to pay for this but we're going, we're going to go get them. And they go into the next town and they go to Penuel. I don't know how, that's, how you say it, but Penuel. And they go to that place and he says the same thing. Will you help us? We need food and water. 
It's like, no, nah, you, you go beat them first and then we'll give you food and water. And Gideon is ropeable again and says, you will pay for not joining in the battle and the fight with us for God's glory. And you know what? Some people's team always wins. Did you know that? Some people, uh, some kids at school, every year their team wins the grand final. Do you know how that happens? Uh, how does that work? Every, t- every year, uh, I can think of a couple of kids, that every year the, the team they support wins the grand final. It's, it's, just, it's just not fair. Because they just go for who's winning. They just support the team that looks like it's going to win and they sort of change if it's not going well for them. And even if in the grand final, like, half time they're sort of like, well, actually I want the other team to win. They just sort of go with the flow. But God has not called us to be like that. God does not want us to be like the towns of Succoth and Penuel that just go for the winning side. He wants us to stand and declare who we stand for. To fight the good fight, to join in the battle, to join in the chase, and to spread the good news, no matter what the results might be in the meantime. Let's not be a church like Succoth and Penuel, that we stand up and be counted and say, I'm in this battle for the Lord's glory. Amen? Amen. I've got this down here, it reminded me. So you can sign up and say, I want to serve. <laughs> there's, a, there's a together, living for the glory of God. There's ways you can get involved and, and stand and be counted to join the battle for righteousness in this land. I was talking to Sue the other day about Kids Hope and I, I, I had a moment talking about Kids Hope, just a little bit of, oh God, help us. We started off with about 15, 16 mentors in Kids Hope, but now I think we have only six. And I thought, oh God, help us to get over 10 again. Maybe you can commit to, to, to mentoring a child and, and be a part of standing for righteousness, of standing up and being counted and saying, I'm a part of this group of people who believe in Jesus and want to just share his love with others. Maybe that's you. An hour a week. Where was I? So they face that mountain, they face that battle, and then they move on, they, they go on, and finally they've won the battle that's all finished. And there's another challenge to overcome for Gideon. The people of Israel come to him and say, they say, Rule over us, Gideon. Let your, let, let, rule over us and let your son and your grandson and your, your family tr- descendants be our rulers. Be our king, Gideon. I think God's allowing his character to be tested. And Gideon says, No way. God is our king. God is our ruler. And I will not take that. And I think, Yes, good on you, Gideon. He hasn't taken the honor or the privilege. He hasn't been prideful and said yeah it's all about what I've done but then in the very next verse or the next couple of verses it says that Gideon goes and he says but what you can do is you can all go and get a gold earring from the from the plunder of the enemy I want you to bring your gold earrings and I'm going to make a, a sacred ephod and you're going ah oh, yeah sacred ephod yep right here <laughs> I thought it was I, I, I was thinking an ephod was like a, a big stick but it's not an ephod's like a, a sacred cloak for the priest to wear it's a very decorative amazing thing and God had, had instructed the people to, to make this sacred ephod for the priest in uh, Exodus 28 I think it is and so God had instructed them to make the sacred ephod originally but it doesn't say what God's opinion was of Gideon making the sacred ephod but I just have to wonder because he said we'll read the next verse it says Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Ophrath. Ophrah? Ophrah? <laughs> in his hometown. 
But soon, all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshipping it, and it became a trap for Gideon and his family. I just wonder if it was just a little bit of, okay, I'm not going to be your king, but I just want to have one of those priests with those cool coats here that I can call on what I want to have in my hometown. I don't know. I, I, there's different commentaries that say different things about the opinion of what God may have thought of what Gideon did. But what I do know is that thing that he made, that, that step that he took in making that thing became a stumbling block for him, for his family, and for all Israel. The whole nation was affected by the way he handled his victory. It says in chapter 8, verse 33, it said, As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshipping the images of Baal, making Baal Bereth their God. They forgot the Lord their God who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them, nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon despite all the good he had done for Israel. You know, we can't make people choose to follow God. Does anyone know that? Yeah? We can't make people choose to surrender to Him and accept His love and what He's done for them upon the cross. Jesus died for every person and every sin that's ever been committed, but we have to accept that gift. And we can't make people accept that gift. But God help us to do everything we can to not create a stumbling block for people to turn away from the living God. God, help us not to make a stumbling block for someone to, to worship some other thing, whether it be through the battle or after the victory, that we do something that causes others to, to get off track, whether it be our, our friends, our, our relatives, our family. God, help us to train ourselves in righteousness. To, to stand for what is true and good. On Wednesday, at a, the leadership development time, we, we heard about a, a guy who invited his friends to church when he was younger. And his, his friends finally accepted that invitation to come to church. And they, they come into church and they all come down and they, they sit down together. And he said it was the most devastating thing. He said, we sat down, we were waiting for church to start, and then this person comes up to them and says, Hey, you know, she, not, you know what she said? You're in my seat. And she went off at him. She said, You can't sit there. And they never came back. They were so offended. They were so hurt. They felt so humiliated. And they never came back. And... I think he had a lot of wisdom in how he handled the situation, but he went to that lady and he said, do you have any, any kids, any, any family that don't know Jesus? And she said, yeah, I've got a, a grandson and he's, he's about he's a teenager and he, he's doing some crazy things. He doesn't know God. And he said, you know what? I'm going to commit to pray for that grandson of yours, but I'm going to ask that you do one thing for me, that if I invite my friends to come to church, that you would welcome them like you would welcome your son. You would welcome your grandson who's far from God and is, is running from God. And if your grandson came into the church and sat down in your seat, you'd be filled with joy. And I want you to think about that person that walks in the church next time I invite someone and to see that the, the, the joy that God has that they've come to church, that they've taken that step. And I want you to, to pray for those, that person. I want you to make them as feel as welcome as you possibly can. Would you do that for me? And she kind of, she, she, she got it. The light clicked on. 
and she became the most welcoming person in the whole church. You know, every person in this city is someone's son or daughter, someone's brother, someone's husband, someone's wife. Every person in this city is someone God created and loved. Every person in this nation, every person in this world is someone that God created and He loves. And I wonder, do we look at that person and say, hey, you're in my seat? Or do we say, hey, wow, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants you to be here. We want to welcome you. We want you to know about Jesus. We want you to know how, how much He loves you. God, give us that kind of love. God, give us that kind of attitude in this race that we run for His glory. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. One of the other things that was said in that morning on Wednesday that's just stirred my heart, is He talked about at a zero onto the percentage of things that you're expecting God to do. I think, I wonder how many people in this, this city do we think God wants to reach in this Next year ahead, we'll say. How many, how many people do we desire and believe that God wants to bring into this place, CFC, to, to, to know and hear about His love? And we can't make them come to Christ, but how many people do we believe that God wants to bring in? And I think if, if, we, if we think 10 people, then okay, we're going to try and reach a few and we're going to see them come in. But what if, what if there's 100 people God wants to bring into this place to, to find out about His love? What can we do to, to run the race just a little harder? What can we do to, to run a little smarter, to, to spread the good news about Jesus, to prepare to, to be ready for what God wants to do, whatever that is in this city? God help us to train ourselves for righteousness, to not just think the way we've always thought, but to grow our strength in Him, to grow our faith in Him, not just to do what we did last year and say, okay, God, here we go again but to run with endurance the race that's been marked out for us. I want to say as well this morning, oh wow, that looks different. It's not over yet. It is not over yet. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've run in the past. It doesn't matter if you crashed this morning or yesterday, but God wants you to get up and run this race for His glory. God's not looking for people to do some great thing but to follow His great commandment, to love God and love people. He's not looking for anyone to do some great thing one day for Him. He's looking for people to, to obey His great commandment. That's the, if the band wants to come up, we're going to finish. At the conference, there was a, a speaker by the name of Jade Lewis who was a heavily addicted drug addict who... Um, was on the verge of imprisonment and probably on the verge of death almost when finally she came to Christ. And she talked about how so many people she felt had just written her off. She said there was no hope for her in their eyes, she, they thought. And every week someone would invite her to a party. Everyone, every week someone would invite her to take drugs. Every week someone would invite her to, to take steps that would just lead to her death all the sooner. And she said, but you know what? In all those weeks, no one ever invited me to church. And I thought, wow, we have the opportunity to invite people to find life and eternal life, to find forgiveness and hope, 
And how willing are we to, to offer that invitation? People offer, offer drugs, people offer invitations to parties and, and, and invitations to things that just lead to destruction. But you have the opportunity to invite someone to find life. Let's be so willing to give that invitation, even if we get a no, even if we get a hundred no's. Let's be so willing to offer that invitation for people to come and find life. Maybe this morning you just feel like you can't face the battle. It's too hard, it's too big, whatever. Maybe you feel like you faced the battle and it's just, it's, it's worn you out. You can't face anymore, you've done your thing. But this morning I, I believe God's saying, Let's stand up and be counted for the army. Let's go after those things on God's heart. Let's run with endurance the race marked out before us. It's not over yet, and God wants us to, to stand and to fight for His for His kingdom, for His glory, for the souls of those who don't yet know Him. Can we stand? I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You died on the cross for the sin of every person who ever lived. And God, I pray that you would stir our heart with a passion to see people come to faith in you. We just thank you for the grace and mercy you've given us. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that has never surrendered their life to you. Even as Cheryl shared around communion, that's all through the cross. It's because of what Jesus did that he bled and died for us, that we can be set free, that we can have freedom in Christ. This morning, if that's you, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants to lead you and, and give you eternal life. But we have to surrender to admit that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, that we can't earn His forgiveness. And even now you can say, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for the things I've done. Forgive me for, for not honoring you. The Bible says, repent and believe means turn away from living for yourself and instead turn and live for the glory of God. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. God, I pray you would lead us forward. And that, Lord, you would do your work. Let us not limit you in our thinking. We just pray that you would be glorified, Lord, in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.